Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. I talk to women every day who have been in abusive relationships and many women find it really hard to just identify with the different types of things that are going on in their relationships as being a form of abuse. This is really common. And one of those things that falls into this really indistinguishable 50 or more shades of grey is what might be happening to a woman in her sex life. Now, a lot of women have a pretty good handle on non-consensual sex as being not okay. But it's a lot harder to draw a line in the sand when your partner might be coercing you or manipulating you into having sex. So maybe your partner is putting pressure on you to have sex when you don't want to, or they put pressure on you to do things that you don't want to do. But maybe out of a sense of duty or obligation, you go along with what your partner wants anyway. This type of thing is really, really common in relationships. So one of the underpinning messages in today's interview with sexual abuse survivor, Angie Barrett, is that coercion is not consent. Now, Angie Barrett, she's an intuitive movement coach. She's a registered nurse, an advanced trauma-informed yoga instructor and stand-up paddleboard yoga instructor who understands the human body and how it works. She helps people to relieve stress, anxiety, depression and trauma through play movements and fun so that they can have healing and peace once again in their life. So after Angie went from child abuse survivor to domestic abuse survivor, and then became a registered nurse to now becoming this yoga instructor. She's spent much of her life caring for others. So in 2017, Angie hit rock bottom. And um, so she needed to start her own journey to heal her life. And this podcast, Tiara's Tears and Triumphs, is actually really dedicated to helping women to find that path to healing and recovery in their lives. So for Angie, discovering playful ways of using movements really helped her to listen to what was her body was trying to tell her, what she was holding on to. And she was able to, through play, overcome her suffering in ways that she felt traditional modalities couldn't do. So now she's dedicated to helping others heal their pain and transforming their lives. Now, if you are listening to this and if you have experienced child abuse in your past or you have experienced domestic abuse, then this interview is one that you will want to listen to. This interview will help you to feel less alone in what you're going through or what you've experienced. And it'll help you to shed some light on ways that you can engage with healing your life and help you to get your life back onto the right track again to help you find your way back to health and well-being and peace and a feeling of wholeness. So um, without any further ado, I encourage you to tune in now to the rest of today's episode. Let's take a quick break to breathe and hear about how to find the keys that you need to be free. You're off to a great start because you found this podcast to help you to heal your heart. 
Now, each episode is jam-packed with support and inspiration, but don't forget to check out the episode notes, which is set up to be your life support station. In there, you'll find links to a crisis support list, plus a way to contact us and so much more to help you close the door on fearfulness and pick up the keys to a life where good things are going to be again in store. Okay, take another breath and let it go and turn your attention back to today's show. Just a caution, if you feel unsafe at any time, please stop listening. You can come back anytime you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast. Your safety is the most important thing to consider. Hello, Angie, and a very warm welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast. Thanks very much for coming on as a guest today. Sandy, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here talking with you all. Well, we have got so much ground to cover, I feel, in this conversation, but I think what would be a good thing to do, a good place to start, is for you to just share a little bit about your backstory and the journey that you've been on as a woman who's been impacted by abusive relationships in your life and be as open and free as you wish to be you're completely 100% in control of what you share or you don't share so yeah please just share whatever is on your heart to share Angie oh thank you yeah so um I am a child sexual abuse survivor I was abused growing up by friends of my parents and growing up one of the things that I desperately wanted was someone to save me and as I got older, um, I, I did also grow up in a very religious household. So very fundamental Christian um, with also the belief that you have to have a, a savior or Christ to save you. So there was a lot of multifaceted um, complex issues involved. My abuse did happen at church. And so that it, it was tied into this idea of faith and all of that. I grew up, I became a registered nurse. I am a registered nurse, which has been a fantastic profession, but in and of itself is fairly abusive or can be fairly abusive. Um, it also reinforced this belief that I didn't get my own feelings, my own emotions, even time to go to the bathroom was incredibly challenging. My specialty was emergency department. I met my now ex-husband. I was 20. I got married after a very short engagement. Once again, I grew up very Christian. And so premarital sex was not allowed. So you have very short engagements. So you don't really get to know somebody. Um, I had some feelings that things weren't quite right, but I was young and the people around me told me it was just cold feet. So married my husband. We were together, uh, we were married for about eight and a half years and he was not physically, he never hit me. He was very verbally abusive, very controlling, very uh, domineering. I worked two jobs for much of our marriage while he didn't work at all. And so um, he was sexually abused. I, I, don't, I don't know how graphic you want me to get on the show. Sorry, my dog is whining in the background. If any of That's you can a, hear. Look, it's fine. You talk openly. I have a caution okay. at the beginning of the show so that if anybody feels triggered by anything that they're okay. hearing, that they can stop listening and come back to it, you know, if and when they want to. Okay. Um, so he was very sexually abusive. We, um, I finally worked up the courage to leave after about eight and a half years. Luckily we had no children. Um, and I left, I actually had no memory of my child abuse. Um, so I just couldn't figure out why I had picked this very abusive, very controlling, domineering partner. I did a lot of therapy to heal from 
my relationship with him. And then about six and a half years ago, I had a pretty big breakdown where I did start remembering the child abuse. And so have been on this journey to heal, helping me discover why I did pick my partner that I did pick and why I did make some of the choices along the way and ignored some of the red flags that were to me, pretty big red flags. So that's my history in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. Um, you've been through so much, Angie, and um, I'm glad that you've broken free from, you know, that abusive past um, and you've done a lot of healing to this point as well. And I think it'd be great if we could have a little bit of a talk about what kind of healing work you've been doing because I think perhaps it might be something new to the listeners and uh, I'm certainly interested in in learning more about it so yeah if you could just fill us in and, and let us know what are you up to and what are you doing and how how have you you know engaged in your own healing Ah, thank you for asking. Great question. So I have done the type of therapy that's called EMDR or eye movement and desensitization, whatever it is, but it's where you look at a light and it goes back and forth. And I've done that for about six and a half, almost seven years. And one of the things for me as I was doing that is that I would just get this buildup of this energy, this angst, that, that pain, that just, I just felt like I wanted to peel my skin off. And one of the things for me along the way is I actually became a trauma-informed yoga instructor. I teach yoga and I decided to learn how to become a trauma-informed yoga instructor to work with other survivors. And as I was doing my training, this kind of happened simultaneously. In my therapy, my therapist and I were doing a process or a protocol to help heal from childhood trauma where... Um, all mammals, humans included, are born with our brains pre-wired with seven circuits. So we come knowing seven things. We come into this world knowing seven things. And one of those things is play, knowing how to play. So think of how babies learn, how children learn, animals, puppies. So we were working on clearing this circuit in my brain to help me learn how to play. And at the same time, I was learning in my yoga trauma training, how powerful play is in helping humans regulate our nervous systems. And so playful movements became this outlet uh, for me. So I started doing crazy things like pretending like I was a plate of jello and just wiggling and letting my body shake and discharging or it allows this discharge that buildup of energy. So I now um, I've done playful movements. It's made it so that I can tolerate EMDR. My anxiety is substantially decreased. When I get really upset, I'll go and I'll do some sort of playful movement that we'll do a couple of things. It gets rid of that energy. So thinking of trauma, I define trauma as a tornado of energy trapped in a stationary or a still body. So for those of us survivors, it's that swirling kind of angsty, irritability, itchiness, crappy feeling. And play gives an opportunity to release that energy so you can sit more with the discomfort of whatever it is. So you can realize, okay, I'm feeling anxious about, I'm feeling lonely, or I'm feeling you know, angry, whatever it is. Um, and play also makes people laugh. It's funny. It's fun. And laughter is a great way to help release some of that anxiety, stress, and depression. The other thing play does is it gives those of us survivors an opportunity to learn how to feel those uncomfortable emotions, but feel in control of them. So I like to give the example of playing the game, red light, green light. So when you play green light, um, or when somebody says green light, or you think green light, run, punch, do something that you would do if you were in a fight or flight situation, you were in something that you needed to do to get away, somebody was threatening you. And then when you say red light, freeze, freeze in place. That's how our nervous systems work. We go through fight, flight, and freeze. And so by doing it in play, we learn those uncomfortable sensations, but that we can have control or a little bit more ability to find that level of sitting in that discomfort because we do have ways to control that sense of 
uncontrolled feeling or emotion. So I do a lot of play and I actually now work with survivors, teaching them how to use play to help heal from their own traumas. I love that. I think that is really powerful and I love its simplicity. Um, I think that, yes, we do, you know, tend to store a lot of that um, frustration, a lot of that pain, a lot of that anguish. It all gets stored in our physical bodies mm-hmm. and we end up being like this tight, you know, ball of tension. And I think that's a, a really, really lovely way to release it. When you get into adulthood, things get serious you know we've got to be put on our serious face and um and play is something that traditionally I think that we look at as being something that children do but that you've somehow you've got to grow out of that when you become an adult but it just doesn't make sense I mean that we do that like you know we need to have that outlet of being and it's not necessarily playing in as much as it's being playful with life with ourselves with other people and it just helps to free us up and helps us to be more open you know in every possible way to be able to engage with life more fully instead of being held back by all of this um, tension so I'm I'm a singer and um, as a a singer that's been an important part of my healing journey is to get into that performance space so again that's getting into a giving myself an outlet where I'm able to play I've got it's that creative sphere that you're stepping into that is taking off the serious hat I have to take off my serious hat I can't get up and perform in front of other people and take myself too seriously I you know I need to just relax and let myself play with the audience and that makes them feel really engaged and comfortable with you know like being there and happy to be there and it helps me to to relax about what I'm doing too and just let myself do what um, what I, I feel I want to do at that time. So I, I can That's really amazing. see that there be many, many benefits um, to doing this and allowing yourself to breathe, you know. And I think if you're doing it, what I like about you teaching this, um, Angie, is that I think that it's something that is easier to do when you're engaging in it with somebody else or with other people um, rather than trying to get out of your serious mode when you're on your own in your own space. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it, it, it depends. It depends on the situation. Yeah. Some people... Play is very uncomfortable. Um, So for a lot of trauma survivors, myself included, when I first started learning how to play, I didn't want anybody looking at me. I didn't want anybody, you know, I was so afraid of not being perfect or not being... not being perfect. And so um, being in a group was very helpful. As I did my yoga training, we did a lot of play in our group and it was a great way to help me feel more comfortable being around people. And it was sometimes easier doing it one-on-one because I didn't have to worry about so many people seeing me um, fail or looking awkward or something like that. So it's that self-consciousness, isn't it? Yes, Yes, it is. Feeling self-conscious, feeling vulnerable. Yeah. For those of us survivors who did, um, you know, both with my husband, ex-husband and, you know, my child abuse, if I messed up, 
I, I paid the price for messing up. And so I had this fear of letting someone see me do something that wasn't perfect. And so I think it depends. Um, I've seen it both ways and it's incredibly beneficial both ways to learn how to do it on your own, as well as to have that support and to see that other people are, you know, looking just as crazy probably as you feel. So I, I do it both ways. I teach it both ways, both as a group. So people can have that support and then one-on-one because it can be very challenging for people. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, that makes complete and total sense to me. <laughs> so um, I wanted to also ask you, um, so I know that you said that you recalled uh, what had happened to you in your childhood um, after your yeah. yeah you after some time after coming out of that abusive marriage that you were in um have you got recollections dreaming of yourself dreaming or having dreams as a child for um what you know what your future would look like or expectations you know that were built upon dreams and what what were they, if you can remember, Angie? Yeah, great question. Um, I don't actually have very many memories from my childhood, but one of the the few that I do is that I desperately wanted someone to save me. That's what I thought. Um, I, th- that's that's the one thing that I really remember from childhood was wanting someone to save me. And so when I met my now ex-husband, I I thought that was it. I, you know, I was taught you get married, your partner is everything to you. And I thought that was him. So I don't have a whole lot of memories of what I wanted life to be. I just knew I wanted someone to save me. And I thought that was going to be him. It's really interesting. I I can relate to your Christian upbringing. I had a Christian upbringing as well. And as much as there were good values um, within, you know, that growing yes. up, um, it wasn't explained fully. And I think that things can go really awry when um, particularly, I don't know, I think it leaves people very vulnerable and um very it's a really tricky area I'm still a person of faith but I've definitely had my my challenges with my faith because of some of the things the pressures that I was raised with like the no sex before marriage expectation which is really very unrealistic and um and it's a terrible pressure to put on to somebody because you're not necessarily marrying for the right reasons or, you know, um, and, yeah, I had very similar expectations to you, Angie, for what a man represented, that a man represented somebody who was going to be the head of the household. Mm-hmm. Um, he would be the one to take charge that, you know, like as a woman, I needed to um, pay respects to yes. to the man, so that meant that that placed me in a position of subserviency with whatever male partner I had, um, and without me understanding or having any skills to assert myself in that relationship to create healthy boundaries, it left me really vulnerable to allowing a man to use and abuse me however that man was going to without me having any skills to try and stop that from happening so yeah so that did leave me very vulnerable like you to stepping into unhealthy relationships um, which I did twice I I first married a man who was um pretty much like Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde and had me walking on eggshells and my nervous system was just an absolute mess in that relationship um to going into something that was 
markedly worse than the first one with uh, there being other forms of abuse in, in that relationship and um, where I lost all security. And I think, you know, like that's where, that's where it led me. It led me to a place of complete insecurity. And, um, and I do think that that's because I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't equipped with the right skills. And it's a little bit different for hopefully a little bit different for girls who are growing up today where they've got a healthier representation in what they're seeing, um, whether, you know, with the whole Disney, let's go down that Disney path. I was just about to say that I, I grew up, we grew up in the time where the Disney princess was this beautiful girl, Prince Charming came, he saved her and they lived happily ever after. She didn't really have any sort of um, in, uh, identity outside of that. It was just, you know, she was saved and then she became the wife of the prince. And so I do see that there is some difference in it. In fact, um, there was a recent remake of the Cinderella movie um, with the singer. Oh, I'm drawing a blank on her name right now. But um, it, was it Ella Enchanted? Or no, it, it was Cinderella Camilla one. Cabello or something like that. I'm drawing a blank on her name. But it ended up the prince um, abdicated his throne and she became a fashion designer. And so it was, so I do think that the messaging that young girls are getting now is definitely very different than what yeah. it was when we got growing up. So not only the Christian, but, but the Disney, you know, women are yeah. much more represented as powerful, strong, independent, capable. And capable. And you may have a partner, you may not have a partner and you're, you're a complete woman. Absolutely. With or without that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that, that the complete woman, because I think that's, you know, what I was missing for me growing up is that I wasn't going to that idea that I wasn't really going to be complete unless I married and had somebody by my side. So, mm -hmm. and anytime I didn't, wasn't in a relationship, I felt that void of, well, this isn't right. I'm supposed to have a man by my side. So it's there's something wrong with me. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that emptiness, like I'm not whole, I'm not complete because I don't have a man by my side right now. And um, yeah. And I know that is wrong. Now I know that is very, very wrong. And um, I hope that, you know, younger generations understand that they are whole as they are without ever having a partner in their life and they that's not the purpose of having a partner having a partner is not to complete you is not to make you whole uh, you know having a partner can be good in terms of helping you to grow and develop as a person that's you know what all relationships are but it doesn't have to be that person that's permanently there by your side for that evolution to occur in your own development it can happen through any relationship that you have in your life you know especially when you're the, you're deliberately trying to have really meaningful relationships in your life with your friends with your family with just with whoever you encounter just look for the opportunities you don't have to have a man by your side. <laughs> I'm going to, I 100% agree with what you just said. I'm going to throw in one more layer on top of that. Go for it. So um, I am pansexual. So I date any genders yeah. and I dated a woman for a while and she was still same thing, very controlling. I ended up picking the same patterns. She was very controlling, very abusive. She dictated how my life was run. So this doesn't have to be just, you know, the, the stereotypical heterosexual relationship. Yes. It can be even relationships in the LGBTQIA plus yeah. community because I've experienced that myself. I have had a female partner who was very domineering, was very controlling. And it wasn't until I was able to even step back from her that I was able to realize it wasn't gender that was the problem. It was who I was picking was the problem. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm really glad that you raised that because yeah, it um it is very important to understand that it's not exclusively a heterosexual issue that goes on. And yeah, it is very much about the dynamics that are going on within the relationship. And um my take on um on abusive people is their need to usurp power over and control over somebody else because of their own insecurities. And, um, and that's not in any way, shape or form excusing those behaviours in people, but it's just to understand that there's only so much you can do within that relationship before you have to step away and say, unless that person is prepared to take responsibility for their own development and recognise that there's work that they need to do and support that they need to get with their own insecurities to help them to be able to have a healthier relationship with somebody, that there has to be a point where you say, I am not, I'm worth more than, you know, having myself be the guinea pig of this person as they continue to be on this, you know, um, spiral of abusiveness. Um, Yeah, I think change takes time and the only way that you can evidence change like deep long-lasting transformational change in a person is with time but why should you be in there um and still being subjecting yourself to more abuse during that time like you know you it's just I did that I did that Angie and like I think that we give uh, like give our all and exhaust we try and exhaust every possible avenue in relationships to say look we've given it our best go um but there has to be a point where you have that line in the sand so what would you say um you know for you were those defining moments of this is it's now time for me to break away from this relationship this is just not getting any better and I am not able to keep going with this um it 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 happened gradually for me um it took me a long time to get to that point it was it was very challenging um I my my ex-husband and I, um, had been fighting, fighting a lot. Um, and he, um, forced himself on me sexually. And I'm just going to make a disclaimer right here. Um, coercion is not consent. So, um, he wore me down. It was not something that I wanted, but I ultimately gave in because I was tired of the fighting and that still wasn't enough for me to go. Um, when he, uh, pushed himself or something that I was very much not comfortable with on. And so I went into therapy. He was unwilling to go into therapy. And so I went into therapy to learn how to deal with it. He was unwilling to go into um, couples counseling. He was unwilling to do anything to change. And as I was doing therapy and realized that I was making steps to make our relationship better. He wasn't, he was continuing down the path that he was. And after a while, it got to the point where I told him that either he needed to do therapy or I was going to leave. And he didn't think I was serious. So he didn't go into therapy. And, um, I felt like I needed that I needed to follow through because I had done everything I felt like I could do. It was at that point I could say, I really have done everything I could. Um, but it took about two years after, um, after our experience, um, or after the very unpleasant experience where, for me to find that courage to go, for me to go into therapy, to see that he was just not willing to change. Uh, so it was, it was me starting to peel apart. Why was I staying when it was so miserable? Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to leave because you don't know what, lays on the other side 
of that and you know sometimes it feels like it's better the devil you know um, because the unknown can be more frightening than what your current reality is so did you he have... would tell me oh yeah sorry, no ahead. please just uh, what were you gonna yeah, say? I was going to say he would tell me that he would kill himself if I ever left him that he would never I, I mean I would just he laid such guilt on me that I felt such responsibility to not leave because I was worried about what the outcome of his life was going to be. And it took me a long time to realize that was his choice. Whatever he chose to do afterwards, that was him. That was not my responsibility. And that was leading on to my next question. Okay. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That after you did make that break, was it a clean cut? And then did you go, Woohoo! I'm, I'm getting on with my life. I'm free of that man. Or was it something else? Uh, it, it was a combination of both. Mm. I was like, I'm free. I could, it actually, the way that I describe it is I felt like I could breathe again. Yeah. I felt like I had not been able to breathe for so many years. Just this weight was on me. And literally we separated, he moved out. And literally the day that he moved out, I felt like I could breathe again. And, um, so we were separated. I knew I was not going back. There was no way he was fighting me on the divorce. He did not want it. So he was contesting it. Um, but I started dating. So I was ready to go out in the world. I was ready to live. He was not. He actually started um, stalking me. And I don't know if he had a professional or if he did it. I caught him actually following me. He was taking pictures. I was dating someone new at the time. And he was um, had driven by my new person's house, was taking pictures of him and his kid. He knew information that he should not have known about um, this new person that I was dating. So he did end up stalking me. Um, I had a police officer friend. I, I was an ER nurse at the time. And a lot of my friends were police officers. They'd come into the ER all the time. And many of them who knew him told me I needed to get a restraining order against him. They were worried for my life with yeah. the way that he was acting afterwards. And I chose not to. I didn't want to ruin his life. Um, I just wanted to be left alone. I just wanted it done. I just wanted... Um, and luckily, when he found out that I was dating someone else, he that was when he gave me the divorce. And so um, I would get letters from him periodically every once in a while, weird things that um, that I knew were from him. We were going to move to England um, for a year and I would get things in the mail from pubs or local businesses in the area where we were going to move. So stuff that that I knew was coming from him that wasn't from that that would not have come to me any other way other than him and after about a year and a half I even stopped getting those so we were able to make I, I was able to ultimately get away but um there was there was a period there where I was a little actually worried yeah. for safety yeah I'm glad that we talked about that because um it is often the case where things will escalate uh, mm -hmm. and you don't know where that tipping points going to be when things escalate and it can be it can be the most dangerous time for women when they make that break away from an abusive partner even one who has not been physically abusive up to that point um emotions run high when that definite move happens and you remove yourself from that place physically from that person and um and they know that this is going down another track now that they're not in control of so the power balance the dynamics have changed and that's when desperate things can happen that you never sort of would have imagined you know that that would be possible so and it's it's interesting that you chose not to get the restraining order uh I know for myself when I did take the advice of the police and I did get that restraining order that's when things escalated to the point where they became life-threatening for myself and my oh, children wow. so it can be an 
absolute trigger getting that restraining order. Um, and I would say to anybody who's listening who has been advised to get a restraining order that you be prepared with a safety plan, um, get the support of the proper services at that time. So don't try and do all of it on your own. Make sure that you are linked up to like the family violence um, support team at the police station. Make sure that you're linked into a family violence support service and that you are getting the help where they're doing the proper assessments with you because there's many, many women who will never, ever reach out to a family violence support service um, because, again, it's delving into that area of the unknown and it's you're, you're already dealing with losing control to another person and then you're sort of handing over information to somebody else and you're not sure whether that person is going to make things better for you or whether they're going to make things actually worse for you so sometimes it's like better just to try and try and manage an unmanageable situation on your own than try and engage those professional services but if there is an intervention order involved or if you feel as though the dynamics are changing and um, that person is starting to exhibit behaviors like stalking that stalking is a very big yes. red flag that's a, a massive red flag and that's when the police will say you need a restraining order um, this is not okay this person is actually a loose unit at the moment and you need some extra support um, from us to help put a legal boundary around you to send that message to that person that they cannot be doing these things to you um, but when you do that that is a point where it can um, make things escalate very rapidly and you the more prepared you are for that the better so yes. if you have something like if you're tapped into family support um family violence support service um if you're uh, if you know what your safety plan is if you've got an exit plan in place um, all of these things are really essential at that time and rather than thinking yeah you can stick it out um and hope for the best it's really good to make some plans just in case and if you just think about it as like a, um, you're, you work in nursing, you'd be really, really familiar with lots of like safety drills and yes. there'd be a lot around occupational health and safety in that nursing sphere. But you just think about it as just being prudent and, um, you know, if there, if there are a fire, you know, you'd want to know what to do in case there's a fire. Like you'd want to have a strategy to exit your home um, safely and get out that's the same thing when it comes to um, having a safety plan because of an abusive person it's just in case in case that happens at least you've got some things in place that you know you've got your important documentation you've got a list of people that you need to call you've got you know things in there if you need to um, go into a refuge for a time to just go somewhere where he's not going to find you you've got a bag packed and you're ready to do that sort of thing so not that you ever wish that that would happen but it's good to be prepared just in case I would also say even before like yes have all that stuff I had a friend's house that I was going to go stay at that I knew that he could not get me at um, so if you don't want to involve for any reason, you don't want to involve the legal process, have friends, have family, have places that you can go that are safe. I had a friend with a big dog that he would never have crossed. So I knew that I could always go to her house. Um, and little things that I didn't even think about along the way. Um, when he, when my ex moved out, I didn't have the locks changed. So he still had a key and would come and go in the apartment. That was one of the ways that I first learned that he was actually stalking me. Things, little things would be moved around the house. And at first I thought I was crazy. Um, I think, oh, I, I, I was convinced I left that there, but now all of a sudden it's here. Um, so taking safety precautions, like changing the locks, that may seem like a silly, like, oh, I wouldn't need to do that. But I ended up ultimately having to do that because he was coming in to the house, even though we'd agreed that he would not. 
Um, so even with safety plans like that, if you don't want to go and escalate up to the, the police, um, just make sure that you do have safety. Um, I ended up sleeping with a hammer under my bed for a little while, just, mm -hmm. you know, so have something that if you do need it, you can protect yourself because it is terrifying. You don't know what someone's going to do. And, and that is when they're most likely to turn volatile. Yeah. Yeah. Great tips. Really good tips. Um, when you mentioned to the family support, the family violence support services often have funding. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're financially, you're listening to this and you're financially really strapped because often financial abuse can be a very big part of the abuse. Um, so if you're financially strapped, these family um, violence support services are actually really well funded to be able to do things like change the locks or yes. put some security cameras, you know, up around your place to give you that added protection. So it's another actually really practical, good reason to get in contact with those mm -hmm. agencies because they can help support you with those fine, you know, just filling those gaps financially that are perhaps holding you back from making those steps perhaps you're thinking I can't afford to move house um so that's the reason why you're staying stuck there might be some funding out there that you can tap into to help you to transition safely out of that relationship so all those problems that you're dealing with on your own um that you'll often find that there's support around those things to help you to stay safe and just remember that you your safety is the top priority, closely followed by your sanity. So you want to be tapping into as much support as you can to help you with those things. So I'm really glad that, Angie, you spoke about you going into therapy and, you know, you engaging in therapy so early on in that relationship and saying, well, I need some support here. I'm not able to navigate this, you know, like this relationship and um, there are things going on that are really obviously wrong in my relationship, right? My partner's not willing to go and, or my husband's not willing to go and uh, get therapy with me and do the couples counseling that I really think that we need. We desperately yeah. need. <laughs> desperately so, need. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if he's not going to do that, then I can still go and get some support to help me. And that that's fantastic. That's a really good place to start. Um, for anybody who's listening, tapping into some therapy, some counselling um, on your own is a really good place to start. Again, if the financial issue is one that you're contending with and that's holding you back from seeking counselling, there are often online counselling support services that are specialist support services for women who are impacted by domestic abuse. Um, and they're, they're free counselling services and they're something that you can tap into when it's safe for you to do that. And also, if you are a domestic um, abuse survivor or are experiencing it right now, and you had child abuse, there are also services that can help with that from the child abuse perspective, because it is pretty well documented that for those of us who have experienced child abuse, we tend to pick abusive partners when we do become older. So if for some reason the domestic abuse services don't feel comfortable to you or don't work out, you can also um, look into the child abuse uh, resources because that is also another option um, out there to help. 100%, yeah. There are so many supports out there. Um, so if it's safe for you to do so, do a little bit of Googling um, and explore what is available for you where you live because, Angie, I don't know whether you're aware, but this podcast you know, goes out all around the world. So I figure, yes. Yeah, <laughs> so there'll be women who are listening in other countries where our supports are not going to be their supports, but they should hopefully have some supports that they can still find where they live so um are there any uh, any sort of tips that you would like to share before we close off the one thing i would like to say is you're not alone 
when I was going through um, what everything that I've gone through, I just felt so isolated and so alone and like nobody would ever be able to understand what it is that I'd experienced. I'm going to start to cry. I'm kind of getting a little emotional here. <laughs> um, but you're not alone. Uh, for anybody that's listening that maybe feels alone right now, you're not. There are so many of us and we understand in a way that people who haven't experienced it don't understand. And I'm going to speak for myself. I want you to survive. I want you to thrive. I want you to be free and to be able to be the person that you desire to be. You don't, this doesn't have to be a death sentence or a, this is final. There are ways to help you and you don't have to feel alone. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's what I wanted to say. Oh, Angie, I want to give you a big hug, honestly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, it, it, I think that's one of the things I really love about doing this podcast and speaking to, you know, beautiful women like you is that it's really helped me to uh, fully understand that I'm not alone in what I've experienced and you know and I see hope in so many women that have found ways to get onto that recovery path found ways to heal their hearts and their minds and you know just heal themselves back to wholeness again and perhaps you know perhaps they've never felt whole to this point in their life and that's certainly true for me I have never felt more whole than what I do today and um you know I do I wish that I had gone through the things that I went through to learn how to become a whole person well no of course you know of course not but you know it's allowed it's facilitated you know these understandings in me that I may never have had an opportunity to learn had I not gone through those things so and all I'm saying is that there's there's these little nuggets to be found and um, you will find them the more that you allow yourself to make connections with other women who have experienced some of the things that you've experienced and you will find them in conversations like this beautiful conversation that I've had with Angie today you will find them when you engage in therapy and you will find them just as much as you seek them out. So um, every time I have a guest on, Angie, I always ask the same question. What does the podcast title, Tiara's Tears and Triumphs, mean to you as a woman? It means that we are badass, that we can wear a tiara, that we can cry about it, and we're still going to overcome, that nothing is going to stop us from being able to take our full power, both our triumph, our tiara, and our tears. I absolutely love it. Would you like to share any links for people to find you if they'd like to get in contact with you, Angie? Yeah, that would be great. So my website is Angie Barrett Movement, and I spell it B-E-R-R-E-T-T. -T. So it's AngieBarrettMovement.com. And you can, um, all my social medias are linked to that. I talk a lot about my healing on my social medias, um, my services, if you're interested, or if you really just need someone to listen to you and say, I hear you, you're not alone, feel free to reach out to me, AngieBarrettMovement.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. Sandy, thank you so much for having me. If you would like to be a part of a growing community to fast track your healing journey, you can do this in a couple of ways. 
One way you can do this is to become a supporter of this podcast by becoming a patron. This will help me to help you and other people just like you to discover the resources that are included in this podcast to help you rise back up after hitting rock bottom, after experiencing different forms of abuse. And like I said, you can do this by becoming a patron of this podcast. It's super easy. Just go to the episode notes and click on the link to become a patron. When you are a patron, you will receive exclusive bonuses like the behind the scenes audio files with deep and meaningful insights from conversations with guests that are not included in the podcast interviews. Plus, there are a range of special building blocks to help you to rebuild your life. So go check it out. And you can join the growing Rise Up with Tiara's Tears and Triumphs Facebook group with over 400 members where you can troubleshoot issues you're having. Every victim and every survivor of abuse has expertise. And being part of a community of peers gives you a safe place to get answers to questions that you have and to share what you know with others. Again, just go to the episode notes to become a member of the group today. We all go through dark times. When we do, we often feel alone. This is a safe space for you to come and look for some light. I'm a survivor of an abusive relationship and for a long time I had no voice because I was too scared to speak up and speak out about what was happening to me. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel, but when I turned a corner in my life, the light started filtering through and I left my old life behind. I am here now to help other women feel seen, heard and valued. I'm reaching out with my light shining on you to help you find your way out of the darkness. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. A note of encouragement. If you are struggling with your mental health, please reach out for support with some form of counselling. If you don't know where to start to find a counsellor, a good place to start is to talk with your doctor. There are also many online counselling supports available. And a word of advice, if the counsellor is not a good fit for you, try another. And if you need to, try another until you have one that is the right fit for you. Tune in again for the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow hosted by me sandy j this program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset spells out how to spot the red flags advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough teaches empowerment strategies acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to meet these challenges head on to go from surviving to rising to striving and finally to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side, who share their stories and insights, as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen and be uplifted to rise in this safe space where dignity, kindness and compassion are treasured. 
And don't forget, if you need some support, I am here for you. I don't want any woman to suffer alone in silence. I don't want any woman to feel oppressed and feel that there is no way out. I want you to know that you can turn a corner. I am a life change facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au. Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go? Because I need you to share your light and leave a review. Can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in iTunes to let other women know this is a show they can trust? It would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel. I need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement. If you like this show, please subscribe and you will automatically be updated with future episodes when they are released. And please share this podcast with anyone you know who it might help. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Sending you lots of love and light and above all else, wishing you well. You are brilliant. Keep shining. Stay safe, Sandy.